men's meetings and then general conference and it just seems like uh, we also have revival actually uh, in two weeks from uh, today. Uh, in fact, next Sunday will be the Labor Day weekend. We will not have a PM service on Labor Day. We will have an AM service, but not a PM service. I, I, um, everybody say, Brother Easter. Easter. We'll be here in two weeks. So uh, make sure you, uh, we have um, some things for you to pass out. Make sure you get them. Um, you can invite someone. Brother Easter, of course, for many of you that have known, this is several years he's come in a row and, and uh, is always a blessing. And he does uh, a very good job as an evangelist and, and encouraging folks to, uh, <clears throat> you know, uh, receive the Holy Ghost and repent and be baptized. And so we are, uh, he, he, you will enjoy him. He is a, a great uh, man, and I appreciate uh, him uh, being able to make uh, this a stop for with us. And he'll be here Sunday morning and Sunday night of the 8th, and then the Wednesday night, and he'll be speaking at the Acts program on that Monday night, and then the 9th, and then he will be uh, uh, doing the next Sunday morning, Sunday night. So a lot of special services happening in the month of September. And I know uh, these, all of these things you'll want to be involved in. And, and it's, I, I know uh, we, we have the byline that we are growing, what? <laughs> Apostolic, what? Legacy. Legacy. And we do have a great history. We have a great, <clears throat> in fact, um, a lot of individuals that I've met over the course of the years that I've been here will, uh, it's amazing how many will say, well, I had a cousin, I had a someone, I had someone I knew uh, that came through and out of that church, and, uh, or I used to attend there myself years ago, or whatever it might be. And I, I know we have a great history, but I'm excited about what God's doing in uh, the hearts of these young folks, and they are involved in our Sunday school department, they're involved in She's for Christ, they're involved in Sweet Corn Festival, and they came back from NAYC with a, a mandate to serve and a mandate to become involved, and that's something that I know this church has a great track record of being involved, and yet I think as we near the coming of the Lord, we're going to have to uh, be involved even more. And there are numerous ways, as just mentioned. I know uh, Sister Sarah uh, did not um, ask me uh, this uh, this morning, but um, or at any time. But uh, she has, I think, maybe two weeks of of sick leave at work, and this surgery is going to demand eight 
to 12 weeks off and so people are already trying to help prepare food and we're going to receive an offering for them a little later on. I know that will be a blessing and we do these kinds of things and, and try to uh, help the body because uh, we feel the pain and we feel uh, the, the hurt and I know you know, it's, um, we're not able to obviously help uh, pay everybody's electric bill or everybody's light bill, but uh, I do appreciate your faithfulness. It has uh, allowed us to be able to be a blessing to numerous folks and to be a blessing to our young people. And there are just hundreds of ways that you can serve. But today, I'm gonna spend a few minutes talking about serving faithfully in obscurity or without being seen, without being known in obscurity, serving faithfully, how important that is. When no one sees, when no one knows, maybe no one sort of uh, is there, uh, you know, uh, at the moment of the uh, seeing what I've done. And we have numerous folks around here and I could spend uh, the next 40 minutes talking about people that do things from changing air filters to uh, changing the oil in the van to uh, checking uh, the elevator and the fire extinguishers and all of those things that have to be done around our physical plant, not to mention that have to be done uh, even in the kingdom of things that maybe, you know, phone calls that are made and people that uh, reach out or send a card and we we have ladies that pray and send cards. I, I could go through and spend hours of time and I know that many, many of you are involved in doing that and yet I think as we get nearer the coming of the Lord, that sense of service is uh, maybe not ever being known is what the Lord is going to look for because it proves my faithfulness. It helps show my faithfulness to God, faithfulness to the house of God. And Hebrews, the 11th chapter, we know is the faith chapter. It opens up by saying, you know, faith is the substance of things hoped for. Faith, without faith, it's impossible to please God. Goes through all by faith, by faith, by faith, by faith. And as it wraps up, near the end of that chapter, it says, and what shall I say more of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah and David and, and uh, Samuel and the prophets who through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, waxed valiant in the fight, turned to flight the armies of the aliens, <clears throat> And he and um, it goes on and says, women receive their dead 
raised to life again. Now, all of a sudden, he actually begins to talk about things and people that were not even recorded. He talks about were tortured, not accepting deliverance, and all of this was uh, the trial of cruel mockings and scourgings and bonds and imprisonment, stone sawn asunder, tempted, slain by the sword, wandered with sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, and he then says, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and in mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And it says these words, and these all having obtained a good report through faith. It takes faith to serve when you don't feel like serving, to serve when nobody's noticing, to serve whenever you don't have you know, seemingly any pats on the back. And he says this phrase, they receive not the promise. That promise, what was that promise? The promise of receiving the Holy Ghost. And so how much easier ought it to be for us to serve who have received the promise? These people serve without having received the Holy Ghost. They didn't have the privilege of having a Bible, many of them. They didn't have the privilege of knowing how to, how to have that and to know all of that. But he said, God, having provided something better for us that they without us should not be made perfect. And so he actually puts us right there in the midst of that by saying that we need all of those people in the Old Testament. And I could tell you the story of Joseph and he was Gideon and David and the widow of Zarephath and Simon Peter and Mary of Magdala and all of these various stories that you would be able to go, wow, those people served in obscurity and they were willing to do it without being recognized. But I, I, I thought of the, one of my favorite stories, I guess, and I've preached on it before, but it's found in 2 Kings, the fifth chapter. And I wanted to talk about this little girl who we don't even know her name. She's so obscure that we know oh, her name. It was a little girl, and the story opens. It's found in 2 Kings, the fifth chapter. It's a great story. If you've never read it, you ought to read it. But Naaman was the captain of the host of the king of Syria. Now, for those of you who are familiar with geography, know that Syria lies to the north of present-day Israel. It also lies to the north of the kingdom of Israel, which was in the north. And it was just separated by a little bit of a hills. And, and uh, the Syrian army would often just take their liberty and go down into Israel and raid and, and uh, take uh, uh, captives. They would take grain. They would raid storehouses. And especially not long after this time was, or right before this passage was written, uh, Israel and Judah had split. The kingdoms were divided, and of course there were wicked kings, Ahab and others, and Naaman had actually led raiding parties into Israel, and he was the captain of the host of these armies. And the Bible is very clear about some things about Naaman. It says he was a great man. He was a great man with his master. He was honorable. 
He, by him, the Lord had given deliverance unto Syria. And what actually that means is that the Lord basically had allowed Naaman to raid into Israel and take captives. And during one of those times, uh, he was also considered a mighty man of valor. That means he was tough. He was fit. He was a fighter. He was a warrior. And then it says this phrase, but he was a leper. He had something wrong with him. He had leprosy. No matter how awesome you are, most of us have an Achilles heel. We have something that the enemy will try to use to get at us. You ever know what I'm saying? And that was true with Naaman. And the Syrians had gone out in companies and they brought back a captive out of the land of Israel, a little maid. And the Bible uses the phrase little there. When you read that in the Hebrew, it's the juxtaposition between great, great and little. He was a great man with a little insignificant maid. And she waited on Naaman's wife. And she said unto her mistress, here's what she said, would God, my Lord, were with the prophet that is in Samaria, for he would recover him of his leprosy. This is how she served. She was serving faithfully, but here was what she was basically saying. Now, we know that Naaman, of course, was this great man, an honorable man, a mighty man of valor, a captain of the host of Syria. The little girl, we don't know her name. We don't know her name. We don't know how old she was. It's called just a little girl. She was a captive. We know that because she was captured on a raid. She's waiting on Naaman's wife. She is basically a slave. She has no freedom. She probably, we don't have any record of her parents, so my assumption probably would be that her parents perished. Her parents were killed. Her town was probably destroyed. Her home was destroyed. She probably watched as the soldiers came and took all of their stuff. All of her stuff was taken away. The grain, the, the I don't know, whatever she had. I, I don't know if she basically had the clothes on her back. I doubt this was a vacation that she got to pack three suitcases and bring a lunch. This wasn't that kind of a trip. This girl was brusquely, horribly detained. Brought up and said, now you have to serve. And in serving this woman, it became sort of the news of the household that the master has leprosy. I don't know if one day he takes off his armor and she sees his skin and she sees the disfigurement. I don't know what, how it was that she got the news. But her statement to her mistress when she humbly approached her. Notice, she didn't say, I mean, I, I think of her because I, I think of how I might have responded. You know, if I've been roughed up, taken away, my family murdered in front of my eyes, I've been forced into labor, I might say, good enough on you. That's just me. I'm being honest as a pastor. 
I say, well, you're getting your, you got what you deserve. Mess with us. Look, God's already smote you with leprosy, huh? Now, you all wouldn't do that. I'm talking, I'm just being honest about me. Have a, but to humbly come to your maid, to your mistress, and say, ma'am, I wish that your husband could go to Samaria because there's a prophet there that could heal him. Wow, that's an amazing amount of faith because number one, she still believes in God's ability to heal. Even though God didn't deliver her, God didn't keep her family, God didn't do, I can list a hundred things on one hand that God didn't do for this little girl. But she still has faith in God. You see, sometimes we only allow faith to grow in our hearts when, and she had no Bible, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word. She didn't have the Bible to hear, have faith. But something was in her heart that God is able to do anything. God is able to do everything. Even though he hasn't done right now, even though I'm going through it right now, I can still say God is able. I still believe God can heal. I might be sick in my body, but I'm still believing God is able. I might not have the strength to hardly do anything, but I still know and believe that I'm serving a God that is able. That's the kind of faith that is in obscurity that we have to have. Not only did she believe that, but she believed that God could heal anyone. I, you know, have you been good? You know, I, I've, in fact, I've even had people say, well, you know, if you have the faith, God can heal you. I don't know. Sure, faith is wonderful. And God uses faith to heal, but let me tell you, a lot of places in the Bible God healed and he didn't ask about their faith. Now, there's some that he did. Made them go wash and do different things. But you know what? God's able to heal anyone at any time. Anywhere. Anywhere. She said, well, man, that's the kind of face she had. She believed Assyrian. This is the guy that's going in and raiding and killing. And he is able to go to Samaria and he's able to get healed. I would have said, well, you know, this promise is not for you. And yet she believed it was for whomever. And then she believed that this prophet in Samaria was able to pray and that things will happen. And so she exuded that confidence. Now, I don't know what happened. I don't know if she said that once. I don't know... what her words did when they locked in to the mistress, to Naaman's wife. I don't know what happened, whether she said it every day for a week or a month or a year, I don't know. But she kept serving faithfully, doing what she could, but having this testimony, God is able, God is able, God is able. And at some point, 
All of a sudden, Naaman decides to act on it. Now that is an amazing thing right there. That leap, first of all, is amazing. Because Naaman realizes this is going to require a lot of protocol. I can't just go down to Samaria. This is not just like, would you come with me to church on Sunday and I can come and I can sit here and I can get a touch. This was going to require all kinds of purposeful planning, if you will. As a matter of fact, the first step is that he goes to the king. At some point when he has an audience and he says, according to the Bible, thus and thus said the maid that is in the land of Israel. That is of the land of Israel. And I don't know if the fact that Naaman was getting worse, if the fact that Naaman was so trusted, if the fact, what it was, but something, because if the king would have said, no, you can't go, I'm not losing my best general, this could be a setup. But he didn't. He said, go, go to Syria. The king of Syria said, go, I will send a letter to the king of Israel. And he gave him 10 talents of silver, 6,000 pieces of gold, and 10 changes of raiment. Now, Naaman brings, or actually brings the letter to the king of Israel, saying, from the king of Syria, saying, now when this letter is coming to thee, I have therewith sent Naaman my servant to thee, that thou mayest recover him from leprosy. Now this is an amazing part of the story because Naaman has to be willing to stake his entire reputation on the faith of some little girl. Or either he just totally believed this little girl or, and this is the big or, he was so desperate that he was willing to go out on a limb for any word of hope. You decide. Was he totally swayed by the faith of this girl or was he so desperate? I, I, I want to tell you something. As we get nearer and nearer the coming of the Lord, the Bible is very clear. It says in Luke, when the Son of Man returns, will he find what? Faith. It's going to be more and more important that we hold on to a faith in God. You say, well, we're getting bombarded and we've got this problem and that problem and this one's sick and that one. You know what? But this is a trial of my faith. I am not letting go of my belief that God is still able to do anything, anywhere. Because there, you think we got it rough? If you are outside of the protecting hand of the power of God, the spirits, the wickedness, the addiction, the, I can't begin to tell you 
you. All of the stuff that is outside the protection of Almighty God. Folks are desperate. Folks are desperately in need of some hope. And if we are able to say, I know a God that is able. He may not have healed me, but I still know he's able. I know a God that is able. I know a God that's able to put your marriage back together. I know a God that's able to heal depression. I know a God that's able to deliver from anxiety. I know a God that is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above everything. I believe it's going to impact. Because you see, it's up to us to have the faith. He had access to kings. He had access to the best doctors. He had freedom of movement. Naaman could go where he wanted. He had vast wealth. He was the second in command. He had protection. He was a mighty man of valor. I mean, you didn't go around picking on Naaman at night. The guy was armed. The guy was, had a cohort of soldiers. But he is desperately in need. I want to tell you, I don't care who it is we talk to. I don't care who it is. And I understand. I'm not, I'm not asking you to go and be obnoxious. But you don't know who God's going to put you in paths with. Whether it's a doctor or a nurse or somebody that may look like they've got it all together. But they are, the world that we're living in is in desperate need of what we have. And that's the power of Almighty God. And we have, cannot allow ourselves not to remember that. Here was this little girl who was away from her home and all of these things, but she realized, you know what? I've got something that my master needs. A connection to a God that is able to heal. Here she was, a captive. She had no material goods, probably came with the clothes on her back. She was completely vulnerable. She had no freedom. She couldn't go to the doctors or whatever. She was basically property. She could be killed or done away with at the whim of Naaman. But she had something that he desperately needed, and that was faith in God. When we realize that in this hour before the coming of the Lord what the thing that this world is going to need that's what our light will be that God somehow let us keep the faith that God you are able ah you are able to do anything you are able to uh, you are able to heal you're able to deliver I don't care I'm not seeking anything God is able now Naaman responded when he went to the king by thinking, well, I can buy my way into this. This is, I've done this before. So he gets all the talents of silver and the gold and he gets the pieces of gold and the changes of raiment and he decides that I'm going to go down and buy a healing. And we know what happened. You, most of you have read this story. You've heard me preach on this story, but here he goes to buy this sense of, of healing and I know it's wonderful but you know what sometimes you can go to the best doctors and have the best medical plan and you still need the Lord 
Doesn't mean you can't go to them, go to them. But let me tell you, I, I'm glad I also know the Lord. And so here's what happened. Read it on in, in 2 Kings, the fifth chapter. And it came to pass that when the king of Israel read the letter, how did the king of Israel respond? Oh, he freaked out. He totally went bananas. This is a setup. He tore his clothes. He said, I know what's going to happen. You know, they're going to kill me. This is a whole trick. I cannot God. I can't make somebody alive. I can't heal anybody. You know why? Because he didn't have faith in God. It wasn't him being put to the test. It was God. This little girl didn't say, Master, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to lay my hand on you. Wasn't about her. She didn't say, Master, I can tell you what I can do. She wasn't about what I can do. It's about what? Right. Somebody calls you and says, you know, I don't know what to do. You don't have to say, well, I've got the answer. You can say, I know where to find the answer. Find it in God. Find it in the Word. It's not me on trial. I mean, we prayed for folks today. It's not my hand. It's not the oil that comes from these little bottles. The prayer of faith. Faith in God. We're believing because we believe God is able. And so, <clears throat> the king freaks out. He says, he's trying to pick a fight from me. And Elisha heard about the king going crazy. I guess maybe that made the news. King freaks out. Twitters something in the morning. Changes it in the afternoon. Whatever they said. King rips his clothes. King has a breakdown. The white in the Oval Office. Whatever it was. However it happened. Somehow Elisha got the news and he said, why have you rent your clothes? Let him come to me and he shall know there is a prophet in Israel. So, sure enough, Naaman goes. Those of you who remember the story, Naaman comes with his horses and with his chariots and his army that has come to protect the gold and the silver and the raiment. And he stands at the door of Elisha. And what does Elisha do? Elisha doesn't even open the door to see him. Elisha knows he's coming, but Elisha sends his messenger. We find out later it's Gehazi. And he says, go tell him to dip in the Jordan River seven times. And your flesh will come into you and you shall be clean. Now, if the preacher doesn't do it just the right way, and the way I think it should be done, it's very offensive to me. And if the music's not right, and if the sound is not right, and if this is not right, and the light's not right, and if I, huh? I don't like it. I don't like that kind of music. I don't like it too soft. I don't like it too loud. I don't like it too lively. I don't, I, I, I don't like standing. I don't like sitting. I don't like kneeling. I don't like praying. I, 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 I. When you are desperate enough 
you would think he would have immediately been willing to do whatever. You know, when I go to the doctor and the doctor says, okay, open up. We're going to stick your arm here. We're going to do that. I don't get to go. Now, doc, I don't like those kind of tests. I'm not really a fan of needles. <laughs> I don't like all that probing and, you know, just talk to me about it. If I'm desperate enough to go there, huh? You would think I will do whatever they say do, wherever the there is. But Naaman wasn't quite desperate enough. That's why I said, I don't know, was it desperation or was it the faith of a little girl? I, I argue back and forth because I think if I were that desperate, I would have immediately said, yes, sir. But he wasn't quite that desperate. So was it her faith? I, anyway, what happened was Naaman gets angry. In fact, the Bible uses wrath and meaning hissy fit. He is at the door just royally perturbed. Angry. I don't know if Syrians had different swear words than Hebrews, but everybody knew Naaman is in, in a mad. And he says, I thought he would come out to me. I thought he would stand. I thought he would call on the name of the Lord. I thought he would strike his hands over the place. I thought he would recover the leper. I thought he would, I thought, I thought anybody ought to do that. I thought that was, I thought, I thought this was, I thought this was the way it should be. And I thought, and this is what I thought. And I thought that this was how he should do it. Now, what's amazing about all of this story is Elisha has sent a messenger to the king of Israel. Elisha didn't really even go to the king of Israel. He sent a messenger to him and said to send Naaman. And now God has not met Naaman's expectations. And whenever Naaman comes, he sends a messenger out to him. He expected a little more reverence. He expected a little more deference. He expected a little more respect. He expected a little more attention. And he believed that, the, you know, that he felt like the prophet was just kind of like saying, forget you. I send a messenger out. And who, you know, I'm a general. And I've got this stuff I'm ready to buy and I'm ready to give you. Anyway, Naaman was so angry because he was a great man and he needed to be dealt with according to his status. And I want to tell you something. That's why the Lord said in the New Testament, except you become like a little child, you will not enter the kingdom. Because when you come in demanding that God touch you a certain way or deal with you a certain way or move on you a certain way or I, I want the, this to be that way and that to be that, I want it, you, it's going to be very hard for you to receive from God 
until you humble yourself down and say, Lord, I need you. I don't care. I, you know, well, I don't like, and I've had people give me all of the reasons. My personality, I don't like people putting their hand on me. I don't like people praying for me. And we try to be respectful. We try not to uh, cross boundaries. And I, I realize, and if you have a problem, we'll be glad to talk to you and we'll make a ring around you so that nobody will touch you or whatever. We'll do our best because I realize that's true. But at some point when you get desperate enough, it doesn't really matter what anybody is doing. And Naaman wasn't at that place yet. His pride was offended. Surely God and the prophet of God should show him a little respect and deference. And so his servants, not the girl, as he continues his rant, he talks about two rivers in Syria and he said those are better than the waters of Israel. And somehow... Somebody wrote a song about the muddy Jordan, but that's nowhere written in there about the muddy Jordan. It's not the muddy Jordan. But he just said, surely there are better rivers in Syria that I could wash in. And he turned away, and now the Bible adds that phrase again, in a rage. He is boiling mad. But his servants had heard this little maid and they, I don't know, God began to deal with them and they came together. It's like, you tell him. I'm not telling him. You tell him. I'm telling him. Well, let's all tell him. And so all the servants get together. And you know, Maybe not in your home, but I think sometimes, you know, whenever I get into a little bit of a, my stress levels going up, you know, the grandchildren all of a sudden are, you know, be careful, Papa's in a snit. <laughs> so imagine how a guy that could kill you, he's in a rage, how dangerous this is, that they decide to go to him and look at how they approach him. They say, my father. In other words, we're coming humbly. My father, if the prophet, just a very logical little statement, if the prophet had asked you to do something big, great thing, you would have done it. Why don't you just, all he said was go wash and be clean and why don't you just try it? And Naaman, I don't know when it was, but this testimony of this little unrecognizable, un remarkable maid had impacted the servants. They knew they had heard what the servant of Elisha had said and they 
talk to him. And so the Bible, I don't know how long he went. I don't know how far he got. I don't know if it took a mile, if it took two miles to calm him down, if it was three miles. I don't know. The Bible's very, uh, you know, nonspecific about what all happened. But at some point, he goes, okay, so he goes to the Jordan River and according to the word of the prophet was to dip seven times and he went down and he dipped seven times. That's almost, you know, it's not like, okay, I'll splash some water on. You wonder if he goes, yeah, right, nothing happened, uh-huh. And, you know, but didn't he say seven times? I don't know if there was further discussion. I don't know what they had to do. This was humiliating. I've got to take all of my armor off. I've got to get vulnerable in front of all of these people. I'm out here. I make sure you guys are guarding this because I think this is a setup from day one. I don't know what all went on, but at some point he went down and he dipped seven times in the Jordan River. And the Bible says that his flesh came out like that of a little child. And he was clean. Now, I know that may not seem like a lot to you, but the fact that they had presented this very reasonable argument to try to convince Naaman that just try it. And I know you know, I've often quoted this verse in Psalms, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Because, I've, you know, I've told people, why don't you just try, you know, serving God? Why don't you just try worshiping for a month? Why don't you just try coming into the altar, raising your hands, and just letting the Lord, it'll help you, and fill in the blank. And yet, are you kidding me? How does dipping seven times, are you, how does that equate with my getting a new job? How does that equate with my... I've told folks, and they look at me like, you're just goofy. But it works. I don't know how that will help heal your body, but it it works. <laughs> and the Bible said that when Naaman came up, he had the flesh of a little child. I, what's amazing to me is it was very specific. I, I'm guessing his wounds were gone, his scars were gone, his wrinkles were gone, and his leprosy was healed. Because it specifically says like a little child. And I... I don't know. The Bible does not record whether or not there was a shouting sermon service on the banks of the Jordan, whether he got excited, whether he whooped, hollered, screamed, yelled, whether people looked at, I don't know. We just leave that up to our imagination. We don't know what his reaction was at the Jordan River, but what we do know is he makes the trip back to Elisha's house, and that's where he returns to the man of God and all of his company and guess who now walks out of the tent? Elisha. And Naaman makes this proclamation to Elisha. I know there is no God in all the earth but in Israel. Please 
please take a blessing from me. I brought silver and gold and raiment. And Elisha said, no, don't want your money. Wow, that's a miracle in itself, isn't it? Elisha was running a school for the prophets. He could have used the money. But the Lord had told him, don't take anything from him. And he urged him to take it. Please, I've got this. It'll help. You've got us. You're helping all. Nope, none. And so then Naaman asked for something very unusual. Naaman says, well, can I take some dirt? So here he is. Elisha has met him as an equal. And Elisha will not allow Naaman to give him anything. I guess proving to Naaman that his motive was not his money. And I, we've taken our last offering for this morning, so don't panic here. But I want to tell you, if you think that the motive of a church is to get people's money, wow, you're sadly mistaken. If you think that the motive of the church is to say, well, we're going to try to get as much money as we can, sure, we, we, we will do what, we send it to missions, we, send, we do it, we will help our young folks. We'll, you got millions laying around, you share one, we'll make it, put it to good use. But that's not the motive of what the church is all about. It's never been about how much money can we raise. What are you saying? Well, you know, there, oh, I knew a preacher once and all he wanted was the money. Well, Paul addressed that. There are some people that preach out of envy and strife and contention and all that. I just rejoice because, you know, Christ is being preached. That was Paul's thing. Why? Because it's not up to me to try to judge motive. That's not my job. And I know according to the word that you can't serve God and mammon. You can't love money and, uh, and love God. It's just impossible. And you say, well, pastor, you know, are you saying, I, you, I'll be glad to talk to you, show you, talk, do anything I can. Because if you think for one moment there's enough money in this, you've made a fast mistake. And if you think, well, I won't give my money, therefore you're not going to get my money. I want to tell you, you're not barking up my tree, you're barking up God's tree. What you do for between you and God, it has you can say, well, I'm not, I don't want you to think that I appreciate what you're doing. I can't support it. I want to tell you something. It's what does God do? And you say, well, but you're his messenger and you're the one. Let me tell you, I serve him and he is willing to pull my string at any moment and I'll be out of here. I'm not so foolish as to think that I'm all powerful. I'm not. Or that any amount of money is worth. So I'm just telling you. Go ahead. Next slide. I'll, I'll, I'll punch it. Sorry. I'm about done. My time's up. Sorry. I think we went there. Here it is. Second Kings, fifth chapter. Naaman tells him, I 
will not offer burnt offerings nor sacrifice to any other God but unto the Lord. That was an amazing conversion. Naaman experienced a conversion. He confessed there is now no God but the Lord, God of Israel. And then he said, will you forgive me in this one thing that I know my master goes into the house of Reman, a, a God, to worship there. And he leans on my hand. I have to walk in with it. For him to bow, I have to bow. But I want you to know I'm not bowing to that God because I don't believe in that God. There is no God but the God of Israel. That was the conversion from a little girl who was in his household that started this process. And Elisha's response was, go in peace. And he left. Now, I know the rest of the story, you can read it in the chapter. It's sad, but it shows how genuine this conversion is. Naaman gets on his animal, gets in his chariot, heads down the road, Gehazi, Elisha's servant, the guy that had come running out to tell him to go wash, runs up to the chariot. And when Naaman sees the servant running up to him, you know what the Bible says Naaman did? He jumped out of this chariot and he got down in front of the servant. The same servant that he said, you've shown me no respect by sending your servant out here. Now Naaman has humbled himself and said, how can I help you? Tell me what you need. And Gehazi tells this big lie about some people came to visit from out of state and they you know, need two changes of clothes maybe. Oh, how about a wedge of silver? Naaman goes, man, take two wedges of silver. The rest of that story is the servant goes back to Elisha and says, Hi, how are you doing? Great. Elisha says, Well, where have you been? Oh, nowhere, 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 you know. He said, Well, let me tell you, the very leprosy that was on Naaman now is going to be on you. But Naaman asked for dirt. He was a converted man. Oh, he knew there were going to be some difficulties when he went home. He knew it wasn't going to be easy. He knew that he was going to have to deal with his master. <clears throat> and yet, what he was basically saying was, you know what? I'm willing to have the blessing of peace. If I can just have God's peace... Everything will be all right. And he went back to Syria with his heart as soft as his skin was. The healing that took place first had to take place really in his body. But what God was really wanting to do was to heal this part. Because Naaman was a little bit arrogant. Naaman was a little bit prideful. Naaman 
was a little bit off track, maybe a whole lot. But Naaman's affliction led to his search. His search led to his healing. His healing, though, led to his conversion. And his conversion led to his confession. What are you saying? I don't care what your need is here today, but I want to tell you what God is really interested in for all of us is changing the inside. Whatever you've come with as a need, God's able to work on those needs. But more than anything, it's can he change this. Will you humble yourself to say desperately, I need him. Oh, it's not fair. This shouldn't have happened. That shouldn't have been I, my life. I, I just need the Lord. I need the Lord. And when you come like that, God's able to change your life. I don't know. You say, well, I want to do something great. I want to do something amazing. I want to do something today. What we all have to do is say, Lord, I have the faith that you can do anything and everything. I don't care what it is that I'm going through. I believe you can do anything and everything. Yes, but your parents have taken you. I believe you can do anything. This led to an amazing conversion. The Jews believed that it was Naaman who shot the arrow that killed Ahab. The most wicked king of Israel. They believed that Naaman, God used Naaman. I don't know whether or not that's true. But what I do know is, as my wife, they sang this song, when he walks in the room, he is able to change everything. If you'll humble yourself and say, I need you, Lord. I need you, God, to help me. You say, well, how does it work? How does coming up and praying and worshiping do anything for my situation? How does dipping in the Jordan River seven times heal leprosy? I don't know, but it's that very act of saying, God, I need you. I will humble myself and say, here I am, I need you. God, somehow, is moved when we come in humility and cast our cares on him and say, Lord, we need you. I don't know what it is we're going through. I don't know what it is you're facing, but we're going to stand. And I'm going to tell you, this is the Jordan River this morning. You can get as much of a dip as you want today, but it'll be up to you to say, Lord, I need you. I'm going to come and do what I can to worship and pray and magnify you just for a few moments. You'll be surprised. I have faith that you don't have to go home the way you came. I have faith to tell you today that you don't have to go back to the situation that you came from, that you can leave uh, free. You can leave set free, healed, delivered. That's the kind of God I serve. He is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all we ask or think. If you just simply humble yourself and say, Lord,